Hey everybody, I'm Alex. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, hey family. Okay, so God keeps reminding me that he said, Alex, it's not about you. So that's great because then you guys can be nervous. <coughs> Perfect. So um, my sobriety date is September 7th, 2017, and I am supposed to tell you guys what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So first of all, I want to say thank you to Chris for asking me to tell my story today. It is truly an honor to tell my story, and I'm grateful for that. So I grew up in Fairfax County, Virginia. My father is an alcoholic, self-diagnosed, and my mother is an untreated Al-Anon, my judgment, and a recovering Catholic, self-proclaimed. Um, I have two younger brothers, Jonathan and Michael, um, from as far back as I can remember. I felt different. <clears throat> we spent my very young childhood in Germany, and my mom ran the preschool kindergarten there, and playing in the yard, <clears throat> my girlfriends, uh, the young girls there, I remember one time they were talking about, we're, we're white. Um, and, and so I ran home, I'm five years old maybe, and I was like, Mom, the girl said they're white. I said, what am I? She said, honey, you're tan. I said, okay. <laughs> so that's like my first memory of feeling different. It's like, okay, so I'm tan, got it. Um, so uh, I remember being left out in childhood play uh, in the neighborhood. I remember feeling apart from, never a part of, um, even though growing up I was a part of this really large group of friends uh, who I guess were considered the popular kids. I don't know. I just always felt different. Um, and then... Uh, I remember the first time that vodka was my answer. So um, I'm supposed to insert my vodka story now. So uh, the vodka story. Um, I'm at my friend, Val my best friend Valerie is my first best friend, and I thought it was so great because she, in my opinion, was the prettiest girl in school. So I'm like, oh yeah, my best friend's Valerie. And so we're at her house, and her dad's away. Her brother came home from college. And um, he brought his friends, so it's the college boys, and we made screwdrivers. And that's vodka and orange juice. I'm sure everybody knows, but just in case. Um, and so um, we made it in coffee mugs. And so I'm drinking this vodka and orange juice, and, and I just feel awesome. Like, I'm not different. I'm a part of the conversation, and I feel pretty, and these all these college boys are paying attention to me. And there were no um, negative consequences that night. You know, um, we were talking about books and Ernest Hemingway, and I don't even—I didn't even know who Ernest Hemingway was at that point. But I did that night. Like I was, you know, I was, you know, conversating it up. And uh, we were out on the porch drinking our screwdrivers and smoking cigarettes. And I—and I felt pretty and amazing and popular and it was great and uh, and I just remember going upstairs and Valerie was on the phone with her boyfriend and she was having an argument or something I was like Valerie you're missing it this is great like it was just the best night um, you know didn't wake up to anybody I didn't know didn't go to jail didn't it was just the best night ever so that was me and vodka and we were best friends since that day on um, <clears throat> then I'll fast forward a little bit to college and uh, 
me and my girlfriends decided to go to the club. This is freshman year of college. And so now I'm going to insert the tequila story. Um, <laughs> so before we go to the club, um, we're drinking uh, I can't amaretto sours. And so we pre-party with our amaretto sours, and then we go to the club, and then they're like, let's take shots of tequila. And I'm like, okay, great idea. And then Coronas, and we're mixing all kinds of things. And then how that night ended was... Um, I'm laying out in the parking lot, like sleeping on the ground because it was nice and cold and I just could feel like how nice and cold it was and it was making me feel better. But then that ended up with like throwing up and like them having to take me back to um, the dorms and it was just really ugly. And, <clears throat> you know, in between these stories, guys, are lots of other you know, drunken escapades and, you know, the things that, you know, other women can identify with when we get drunk and all that fun stuff that, you know, we all have those stories. So then um, I remember the drunk that brought me into the rooms. Insert DUI story. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm driving down 75 going 95 in a blackout I'm like in and out of a blackout and um, and so when I'm coming to consciousness I kind of see out of my peripheral the cop lights and they're sitting on the side in the dark and like as soon as I fly by them I'm like I am screwed um, and so they pull me over I've had like I don't even I kind of remember, I think I was like at a club by myself and somebody called me like, there's an after party. And I was like, oh, right. And I'm driving down the highway, listening to Rihanna, please don't stop the music. And I'm like, I'm going. And so the cop pulls me over. He's like, how much you have, had, have you had to drink, ma'am? And I'm like, you know, just a little bit. And, um, and so we go through the whole test and all that stuff. And he has me blow and then I don't remember what it was, but then he's like, okay, well, I need you to blow again for the formal test. And I was like, well, didn't I just blow? And he's like, that one didn't count. And I was like, well, I'm not blowing again. And and he's like, all right, arms behind your back. And, and so I'm going to jail. No, okay, so he puts me in the back of the car. And I was like, well, my dad works for the government. Does that count for anything? Nope. And so, <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the back of the cop car and I'm like, I bet I could wiggle out of these handcuffs. So I'm like wiggling my hand out and I got out. And then, so he's out of the car doing something and I, he left the window open and I was like, I bet I could get out of here. And I'm just sitting there and I'm drunk. So I'm like, this is probably not the best idea. So I wiggle myself back into the handcuffs and I just sit there and takes me off to jail and I go to jail and I'm in the holding cell and uh, I wake up and I was in there alone when I fell asleep and I wake up and I'm hungover and I have a headache and, um, there, and there's these larger women around me and um, so my immediate thought is I've seen the jail movies you know like I know and I'm little you know I'm not you know in denial about my stature so <clears throat> they they bring the food and I'm like I have to assert my dominance immediately so if I get taken to population they know so I'm like give me your sausage and so I get a sausage and then I pick out the weak one and I'm like I'll take care of you and she's like oh thank you and um, so I got my sausage and my passive one and um, 
and I'm just like making sure everybody knows I'm the boss. And uh, and then I get my phone call. <laughs> this is so dramatic. Like I'm in the holding cell at the drunk tank in Cobb or whatever. Anyways, um, so and then I get bailed out before I have to go to population. And like I think I was there a total of seven hours, but that was enough for me. Like I knew that I did. I'm not meant for jail. So that was enough for me. So anyways, I get a lawyer, I go through the whole thing. He's like, you don't have the DUI yet, but I want you to do all the things that you would do if you had, if you do get a DUI. So I do the DUI class, I do community service, I do AA meetings, like an AA meeting a day for like a year. And um, uh, when I go to the DUI school, it's three days over the course of a weekend, Friday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On Sun, on Friday, I drive there in my alcoholism, which I know it is now. I'm driving there, and it says, "Don't you let these motherfuckers tell you that you're an alcoholic." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got this." I'm driving. By Sunday, they show us this video, and there's, I think, there were AAs on the video. And I just remembered like this large, like Samoan looking gentleman and he has smiling ear to ear and he looks so joyful. And I'm just like, I want that kind of joy because just maybe three months prior, I was sitting in my apartment by myself, drinking this leftover E&J, contemplating how can I successfully kill myself? And, um, and I just wanted what he had. So, so I'm driving home, um, I'm driving to my apartment on lunch break from the DUI school and I call my dad. He's sober like 10 years at this point. And uh, I said, dad, I think I'm an alcoholic. It's <laughs> terrible. And he's like, well, go to a meeting. And, uh, and I'm like, all right. And so like I start, Googling it or whatever, um, I find an AA meeting, all right, and uh, it's Highland Serenity, 8 o'clock on Sundays, and it's off Sandy Plains, and I go there, and um, and there are, I call them my three angels, and one of them has since passed, but um, so they greet me, and I'm in there, and I go in, I'm crying, and I'm a mess, and um, they come up and they're like, oh, honey, welcome, blah, 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 hug, hug, hug. And then um, uh, one of them comes up. She's like, here's the meeting book. Here's where we keep the coffee. Um, here's the bathrooms. Let me take you around. She like shows me around the whole church. And um, so we have the meeting. I don't remember what it was about. Um, and then I sit next to one of the other ones and uh, uh, it gets to the end of the meeting and they're giving out the chips. And the white chip is the surrender chip. And um, she's like nudging me. She's like, yeah, like get the chip. And I didn't get the chip. I, I didn't know and I was too weirded out. Um, and then the one who passed, I just made a note about her. Um, her name was Cindy. And um, I put, she's a sassy old bird and she was always dressed really nice and she had all these jewels on and she was always smoking cigarettes and she died with 39 years sober and she always talked about her white piece of velvet which i think she like held on to as like her sobriety um thing like her piece or something 
not quite sure, but it was, she always referenced it, and um, I really liked that. Anyways, um, so I kept coming back, and I keep coming back. Um, I put, sure, I only have a few days of continuous sobriety this time around, but I'm still grateful because this program has taught me a lot. So during the past nine years, because of this program, I've been able to stay um, sober and be there for my family sober for the following events, and I just wanted to take note and be grateful for these things. Um, my cousin <clears throat> overdosed on pain pills, and I got to be the designated driver for my other cousins while they got drunk because they were really depressed about that. My other cousin committed suicide because he couldn't stand the thought of being like his father, who is a raging alcoholic. Um, so I got to be for, there for my family for that. Um, sorry, guys. My brother has been um, locked up in his room for 10 years because he's afraid to face life. I got to provide a place for him to live. After he moved out, I got to be sober for my wedding, and I got to be sober for the birth of my child. <laughs> I got to be sober for my dad's quadruple bypass and my grandpa's onset of Alzheimer's. And um, I put, life's tough, get a helmet. <laughs> and um, stay close to this program because it'll save your life and it has saved mine. The first step says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. It is important for me to stay connected to the we. My current sponsor has been um, saying a lot about we. <clears throat> we have to fully concede to our innermost self that we are alcoholics. Know beyond a shadow of a doubt that without this program, I don't know how to live. I just don't. The big book is our basic text. And in it, it says that we're in an altruistic movement. That means that we think of others and altruistic means unselfishly concerned and devoted to the welfare of others. The big book says that we have recovered. It also says that the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body on page 23. It also says that alcoholism is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And my last experience with this is that I was in my garage, this is right before I relapsed last, I was in my garage and I remember thinking, I'm going out of my mind. And upon my return this last time around, an old timer shared, <clears throat> this is him speaking, I shared with my sponsor, I'm going out of my mind. And he said, Gary, you're not going out of your mind. You need to get, you, <laughs> you need to get out of your mind. You're all the way in your mind. <laughs> Aha moment. I was all the way in my mind and I needed relief. That was all I could think. I could not verbalize it to anyone. All I was verbalizing to my support network and to myself was my resentments. I could not say I want to die. But deep down inside, the alcoholism was saying, either kill yourself or take the drink. So I took the drink, the lesser of the two evils, I thought. So I'm blessed to be here. <clears throat> my sponsor taught me that every time I attend an AA meeting, I'm working steps one, two, and three. Step two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I believe that the program works. I've seen it work in several women I respect, period. Step three says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 
I don't understand God. I just know that if I work the steps, be grateful and don't drink and don't die, I'll have sobriety. Like, like my sponsor says, we don't always know right, but we always know wrong. When I'm willing to do the right thing, I'm rewarded with an inner peace no amount of liquor could ever provide. Page 317. In my last ex- oh, sorry. Okay. Um, okay. The other thing that I wanted to reference was, I didn't bring it up here, but, um, because of this last episode that I went through in my thinking, um, either kill yourself or take the drink. I was under treatment of a doctor and we were, um, working with antidepressants and we have an AA pamphlet that says the alcoholic and other medications. And it talks about, um, alcoholics that take other medications and sometimes people in here will say well you're an AA and you take the steps don't take your antidepressants well that pamphlet addresses it and if you're under the care of a medical doctor then listen to your doctor and it's okay um we reduced my antidepressant and it didn't work and so she said if you start to have those dark thoughts again call me and we can increase your antidepressant and I didn't call her And so I had those dark thoughts and I drank. But as soon as I called her, she said, go ahead and increase your antidepressant. And then it was fine. So unless the AA is a medical doctor, talk to your doctor and read the pamphlet. It's really helpful. There was a lady in that pamphlet who stopped taking her antidepressant because another AA told her to stop. And that person wasn't a doctor. So... I just wanted to point that out. There is literature that we have that is AA-approved literature about that. And it's helped me because I struggle with that too. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Steps four and five. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves and admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I will say this about these steps. Ever since my first time doing steps four and five, I've never picked up the guilt, shame, and remorse from those items on those inventories again. It was like a freedom that I've never known before. It's a complete freedom. I love it. I remember doing my first fourth and fifth step with my first sponsor. And we were sitting there. And it's like this weight has been lifted from me. I don't think about those things anymore. And I'm like an open book. When people try to come and bring things up to me, like I remember walking around like with all this self-pity and like I was less of a person. And I don't have to do that anymore. Like I can hold my head high. And that's that's beautiful to me. Um, so if anybody's afraid of doing those steps, you don't have to be. It's great. Um, I just did one with another woman last night, and um, and then when we burned it, we danced around the fire, and it was awesome. And I could feel like that she was free too, and it's it's just a beautiful process. Step six and seven: We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character and humbly ask Him to remove our shortcomings. All this is is an inner choice. I do not have to work on me. This was hard for me to realize because. I'm, I'm an accountant, so I mean, I have, I'm very goal oriented. It's like, okay, I want to achieve this goal and I'm going to make a checklist and I'm going to do it. And then I achieve the goal and I move on to the next thing. Where's my test? 
check it off, highlight the book, do the thing, and then I'm boom. That's not how it works with the spiritual realm I figured out. It's not like, okay, I procrastinate. All right, so I'm going to work really hard on procrastination and not do it anymore. It's like I have to ask God and like do things and stuff. It's really like not tangible. So it's weird for me. Like this program is the complete opposite of who I am. So I don't have to work on me. Um, this is very hard for me because I'm a perfectionist. <sighs> and then I wrote down this quote of myself. I am nothing. The father doeth the works. When a situation arises and I see that there is a choice, I can a be kind or B be an a-hole in that moment. I will always want to be an a-hole, <laughs> but I think it's funny and <laughs> I think it's funny to be an a-hole and um, my ego thinks it makes me win. But what I'm winning, I don't know. Uh, however, if I choose to pray and ask God for help, God will help me be kind. That's how I work step six and seven. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how it works for me. Um, steps eight and nine made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all made direct amends to such people and wherever possible um, ex uh, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others okay so I made this list when I did steps four and five and um, I'll just tell my story about this so when I did my first fourth and fifth step there was a woman on there who I had hurt during my business uh, excursions or whatever. Um, I completely stepped over this woman to climb the corporate ladder. And anyways, I went to go make amends to her and we went in the back of the office and we're standing outside smoking a cigarette. And I was like, look, you know, I had this way I was supposed to make amends to her. I talked to my sponsor. She was like, say this. So I said that. And the lady said, well, you mean when you did this? And I was like, uh, I wasn't prepared. So I was like, yes. And she's like, what about when you did this? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, how about this? And she went on for like 12 things. And I was like, uh, uh, yeah, so I'm so sorry. And, um, and so I just took it as it came. And, you know, I had prayed before. I let it just kind of flow. And uh, so after that was said and done, I felt the relief. And then what ended up happening is a few la years later, she was 48 and she got brain cancer and she died and uh, thanks to this program I got to make amends to her before she died and what's even better is not really better but what was really an honor was the fact that her husband called me and said you know hey um, Yvette wants you here and she wanted me to be there with her while she was going through the last days of her life and I got to be there for her and support her and her family while she went through that and even like speak at her memorial and everything and like all of us at work we became a really close family at work and it was just it's amazing how the like spiritual gifts were given in this program to be there for people and um, I wouldn't have been given this without AA so that was a good story about steps eight and nine um, steps 10 11 and 12 continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it still wrong a lot sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out 
Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Simple. Okay, so for 10 I put, oh, I didn't like that I did that. Talk to my sponsor, make amends, ask God's forgiveness, forgive myself, move on. Insert 2010 story. Okay, so in 2010, I went to make an amends to a friend in North Carolina. This was Valerie. Um, I had done some things, and uh, so I went to make an amends, and I had this really bad migraine. So um, I was like, do you have any headache medicine? And she was like, sure. I have Tylenol and I have Percocet. I was like, I'll take one of each. And... Uh, and so I did, and then I called my sponsor, and she's like, okay, um, we need to pray about this. And so I went to a meeting right after there in North Carolina, and then um, we prayed about it. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you to pick up a white chip or not, but you need to decide with God. So I listened to a speaker tape, and it was like, time doesn't, the old timer on the speaker said, time doesn't matter. And so I was like, okay, time doesn't matter, whatever. And so I picked up a white chip just because I wanted to be honest about my program. And then I couldn't forgive myself, though. And so I just started going in my mind about this and twirling and twirling. And I couldn't forgive myself. And I ended up in what my dad calls the nut house. And, um, and I was there for a few days. And, uh, you know, forgiveness of self has been a huge lesson for me in this program. Like, I'm not good at it, and my ego is dead at this point. Like, white chip after white chip has just been like, I told my sponsor this time, I was like, I hate the chips. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> and uh, when I picked up this last white chip, which I'm so grateful for, I put it in the front of my book. Um, uh, I picked it up, and right before I picked it up, I told her I hated it. And then this guy picked up 11 years in that same meeting, and he picked it up, and he's like, yeah, 11 years. He's like, I hate the chips. And I was like, thanks, God. And uh, and so that was really cool. And uh, anyways, we have to forgive ourselves. Like, I think that we're too hard on ourselves sometimes. I know I'm hard on myself. And... Um, it says in the book it's progress, not perfection, so it's all good. Anyways, that's the 2010 story. 11, <clears throat> excuse me, hit my knees in the morning, ask God to divorce me from selfishness, sit quietly after reading for a few minutes before I start my day, and do it again as needed throughout the day. Like sometimes I'll just like get up from my desk and go to the bathroom or go outside to smoke a cigarette and just reconnect with God. And then one cool thing that I've seen reoccurring that happens is like I'll be outside and I'll be like, God, please help me with X. Like if I get to that point finally where I'm humble enough to ask for help, like the wind will blow through. And then I'm like, he's here, he's here. Like I get all excited. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's here. thanks, thanks. And then it'll be better. Um, and then 12. My personality has changed. It's amazing. I love God and AA and you all so much for this blessing on my life. 
<clears throat> I want to give freely and do and I do give freely when I'm asked to be of service because I want AA to be here for the next alcoholic who needs it. My personality <clears throat> doesn't like to be drunk. That's why I'm here. The big book says, with few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. So I have an inner resource today that I didn't realize before, and I realize because I've worked the steps of AA, and I'll do it again. Thank you.